Hey, Reveal listeners, if you've been listening to American Rehab, you don't need me to tell you about the importance of great investigative journalism. It really helps us when our listeners rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's so easy to do, and it helps others find our show. So we've got a bonus for the next 200 people who review us, Reveal Tote Bags. Like our t-shirts, they're simple and elegant, dark blue with the word facts written across the front in bold type. So here's what you got to do. Text the word REVIEW to 474747, and we'll give you instructions on how to get one while supplies last. Again, text the word REVIEW to 474747. You can text STOP at any time, and standard rates apply. And when you leave the review, if you want to tell them that Al Ledson is your all-time favorite host, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be mad at that. Thank you so much for your review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference. From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Ledson. Today... As a part of our continuing coverage on the pandemic, we're bringing you this special podcast extra. The Rona, that's what the cool kids have taken to calling this new virus that has turned all of our lives upside down. The actual name is SARS-CoV-2, short for Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, Coronavirus 2. The virus causes the disease known as COVID-19, short for Coronavirus Disease 2019. The reason for this word and number salad has to do with a change in the disease naming guidelines the World Health Organization made in 2015. The agency wanted scientists to stop naming diseases after people or places because it created a stigma and perpetuated discrimination. Like when AIDS first emerged in the U.S., it was known as gay-related immune deficiency or that we call the global pandemic of 1918 the Spanish flu, even though most scientists believe Spain is not the origin of the virus. But a week after the SARS-CoV-2 outbreak was identified as a pandemic back in early March, President Trump called it the Chinese virus, a term the president dismissed as not being racist mere moments later because it comes from China. That's why it comes from China. Since then, There's been a surge of discriminatory attacks against people of Asian and Pacific Islander background in this country. This kind of targeted hate has a deeper and darker past that's resurfacing now in cities and towns all over the U.S. Reveals Najib Amini has more. Vera Chow was already having a bad day. It was daytime. I remember I was just walking back from dropping my dog at the vet because he literally that day got diagnosed with stage four cancer. It was not a good day when it happened. Vera was wearing a blue surgical mask. Her family lived through SARS in 2003 back in Hong Kong. So she wasn't taking any chances walking back to her apartment in Long Island City, Queens. This was late March, two weeks before New York Governor Andrew Cuomo issued an order that everyone had to wear a mask in public. At that point, I was already actually making space between people. I don't want my mask to scare people. And I don't want people to see me and jump away. Ever since New York State issued stay-at-home orders, Vera had been extra careful. She only left the house to pick up groceries or walk the dog. On this day in late March, she was coming back from the vet 
when she passed by a fellow dog owner. I walked by this older Caucasian lady walking like a small little Yorkie, and I didn't really make eye contact or anything. I didn't interact with her. I wasn't close to her at all. And she just took one look at me and was like, all you people, all you people get away from me. And I said, excuse me, excuse me. And she was like, yeah, all you people, you carry diseases, get away from me. And, um, I don't know, that poor dot was just probably sitting there like, why is she screaming? <laughs> I guess in my mind, I was wondering if something like this would start happening. But I just like didn't think it would happen so quickly and to me out of like billions of people. Incidents of hate, like the one Vera suffered, started making headlines across the country. In Chesapeake, Virginia. Employees were harassed and their vehicles were vandalized with the words, go back to China. In Philadelphia. Multiple young people surround an Asian man on the 3100 block of Sheridan Street in West Kensington. They strike him in his head and he falls to the ground. And in Midland, Texas, where a 19-year-old man is accused of attacking an entire family. It included a father, a two- and a six-year-old. Now, he told investigators that the reason why he stabbed the family was because he thought that they were Chinese and that they were infecting people with COVID-19, but they're not Chinese. They're actually Burmese. The accounts are really harrowing of people being yelled at, spat upon, coughed at, physically assaulted, even with children and elderly present. Dr. Russell Jung heads the Asian American Studies Department at San Francisco State University. He teamed up with advocacy groups across the state to create the Stop AAPI Hate Project, which tracks these kinds of cases. In a two-month period this spring, they received nearly 1,900 reports from 45 states. More than half came from California and New York. But Russell suspects there are a lot more. We think it's just the tip of the iceberg. We know it's a lot more pervasive and widespread than the number of incidents we receive. According to the data, women are being harassed twice as often as men. In more than two-thirds of cases, people are being verbally harassed. And nearly 7% of the reports are about physical assault, including people being coughed at or spit on. And people have been physically attacked just for looking like a Chinese person. It's a clear case of racial profiling, that not just Chinese are being targeted, but anybody who looks Chinese So 60% of our cases are non-Chinese Asian ethnicities. So Koreans, Vietnamese, anybody who looks Chinese. And so again, it's not who you are, it's what you look like. Russell says it's the latest chapter of the yellow peril. The racist fear-mongering idea that Asians will invade the West and overpower white European people and culture. Chinese and Filipino people have been in North America since the 1600s, and people from India started arriving in the 1790s. But the first big wave of Chinese immigrants came to the U.S. in the mid-19th century. And like many immigrant groups, they experienced the American rite of passage, discrimination. When they began to arrive in larger numbers, they were thought to be different, strange, from a different kind of political society, a different kind of cultural community. Nayan Shah is the author of Contagious Divides, Epidemics and Race in San Francisco's Chinatown. They were thought to be a threat that people worked very actively to 
disenfranchised to create blockades about what they could or could not do economically or socially or politically. Chinese immigrants settled mostly around the West Coast. They worked on the railroads and in and around the mines back during the early years of the gold rush. They eventually made up 25% of California's workforce, but were taxed at far higher rates and earned wages far lower than their white counterparts. When gold mines started to dry up, the Chinese got blamed for the economic downturn. In 1882, Congress passed the Chinese Exclusion Act. It was the first time a law banned an entire ethnic group from entering the U.S. From those early days of Chinese migration to today, they've often been a scapegoat during public health emergencies. They were thought to be the site of a lot of both immorality, deviance, disease, filth. When smallpox hit San Francisco in the late 1800s, Shah says city health officials blamed Chinese residents. They get very concerned about whatever they see smallpox with a Chinese individual. They try to instill a great deal of concern and fear, irrespective of other people getting smallpox that it's a Chinese disease, it's a Chinese source to the disease. When the plague hit the West Coast at the turn of the 20th century, San Francisco issued discriminatory quarantines, blocking the movement of Asians. Honolulu set off controlled burns that destroyed its Chinatown. And Shah says officials doubled down at the federal level. The U.S. Public Health Service director also ends up writing that bubonic plague was, quote, an oriental disease that was peculiar to rice eaters. Some politicians would turn the mistrust of Asian communities to their advantage. San Francisco Mayor James Phelan routinely targeted these groups. And while running for re-election to the U.S. Senate in 1920, he printed anti-immigrant ads about stopping the silent invasion and ran under the slogan, Keep California White. We have to keep in mind that there's still a long-standing idea that even when you're dealing with multi-generational Chinese and Japanese, South Asian now and Korean Americans, you still have this idea that persistent that attributes them to being uh, to being foreign and just an idea that you're an outsider, a problem, a threat. You're not part of the society. Shaw says it's not just the pandemic that reinforces this viewpoint today, but also geopolitics. There's a lot of stuff that's going on circulating today about worries about Chinese economic and political might and competition with the United States. And I think it has a lot to do with, you know, the president and the president's administration and the use of China virus as a way of trying to talk about COVID-19. In January... Right before the coronavirus was declared a pandemic, the Trump administration signed a trade agreement with Beijing. The deal was really more of a ceasefire in an ongoing tariff war between the world's two largest economies. But then the coronavirus happened. And in March, President Trump started calling it the Chinese virus on Twitter and defended the term in press conferences. Do you think using the term Chinese virus, that puts Asian Americans at risk, that people might target them? No, not at all. I think they probably... uh, would agree with it 100 percent. It comes from China. For a few weeks, Trump stopped calling it the Chinese virus and even said we should protect our Asian-American community. But that was short-lived. At his rally in Tulsa last month, he re-upped the attacks. 
By the way, it's a disease without question. Has more names than any disease in history. I can name Kung Flu. I can name 19 different versions of names. Kim Yidian is a political science professor at the University of California, Riverside. She says the political rhetoric she's hearing today reminds her of what happened during the Ebola outbreak in the lead-up to the midterm elections in 2014. We're seeing a lot of this, close the borders, close travel, don't let people in. As long as you can keep people out, you can keep the disease out. She's about to come out with a new research paper that shows how Republican politicians use the Ebola crisis to talk about other hot-button issues like immigration in 2014. The stakes are even higher when it comes to the coronavirus and this year's presidential election. The scale of this disease is going to change a lot of what we thought we knew about what our country is and what our society is supposed to be providing its citizens and, and, and how politicians frame this disease and how they characterize their own responses to this pandemic, I think, is, is going to shape how a lot of citizens think about their state and about their society. The China bashing, again, serves Trump's political interest. That, again, is Russell Jung, lead researcher of the Stop AAPI Hate database. It deflects blame and responsibility of the handling of the disease, and then it blames others for its spread. It's a clear scapegoating and a evasion of responsibility. And secondly, it actually spurs nationalist impulses, and then your, your base then is more enthusiastic and supportive of you, and have an outside enemy to direct their anger towards rather than towards the government. However, if this is an example of history on repeat, like a broken record that hauntingly keeps on playing, Russell Jung says he does have reason to be optimistic. In all of the cases of American history of racism towards Asian Americans, Asian Americans resisted. During the Chinese Exclusion Act, they engaged in one of the largest examples of civil disobedience and resisted registering with the government. In Japanese-American wartime incarceration, they fought for redress and reparations and got it. And today, I think the Asian-American community really is rallying against the racism that they're experiencing. It's a tiny silver lining amidst the sobering reality that the epidemic of racism in this country still isn't over. That story from Reveal's Najib Amini. It was edited by Jen Chien and Kevin Sullivan. And just a reminder before we go. On Saturday, we're going to drop the first two chapters in our serial, American Rehab. It's the story of a very American solution to the issue of opioid addiction. Work. We found... Tens of thousands of people a year are signing up for treatment for addiction, and instead, they're being sent off to work as kind of a temp service, and the rehab center pockets the money from their wages. It's a story that'll take us back to a 1950s-era cult to today. That's American Rehab, starting this Saturday for the next six weeks. Our sound design team is the dynamic duo, Jay Breezy, Mr. Jim Briggs, and Fernando, my man, Yo Aruda. They had help from Claire C. Note Mullen and Amy Mustafa. 
Support for Reveals provided by the Reva and David Logan Foundation, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, the Jonathan Logan Family Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, the Democracy Fund, and the Ethics and Excellence in Journalism Foundation. Reveal is a co-production of the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. I'm Al Letson, and remember, there is always more to the story.